the Digital Society podcast brings together leading journalists, politicos, and key policy influencers to explore the impact technological change is having in the UK and across the world. And it's hosted by Atos Senior Vice President of Strategy and Communications, Colvert Ranger. Hello and welcome again to the next uh, edition of the Digital Society podcast. And today it gives me immense pleasure to be joined by the Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons, uh, Nigel Evans, MP. Nigel has been Member of Parliament for Ribble Valley since 1992 uh, and has been a backbencher for many years, but has had notable roles in his time in Parliament, including being on the Select Committee for Digital Culture and Media Sport for four years, but was elected Deputy Speaker in 2010 and served for three years and then was re-elected in January of 2020 as Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons. Nigel, it's a real pleasure to have you on the Digital Society podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much, Gilbert. Pleasure to be here. Well, look, we, we, we are still in the early days of the Digital Society podcast. It's a very relaxed conversation, but we thought it'd be fascinating to have you on as a guest, and we're delighted you agree, because you sit in the seat the chair obviously there is the speaker himself but you are <laughs> the, the, one of those few lucky people who sit in the the crucible of our parliament at the center of affairs please g- 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 give us a, a sense of how things have been going over the last particular let's be honest the last 12 months this pandemic <laughs> parliament having to change you know your role but maybe at the start what, what is what is the deputy speaker's role because i'm sure people say oh Deputy Speaker, that must be fantastic, but maybe we don't always have a view of exactly what it entails. Well, yeah, uh, you're right. There's four people who get to sit in the big chair, uh, the Speaker and three deputies, um, two elected from uh, the opposite party to the Speaker and then one from the same party. So we balance one another out. And the important thing about that is that we don't get a vote uh, ever. So we basically are on perpetual pairing Let's put it that way. So we never vote. We cancel one another out. Uh, the speaker can't sit in the chair all day, although John Burko made a good stab at it, let's be fair. Uh, but um, what happens is that the current uh, speaker goes in for two, two and a bit hours at the beginning of the day, uh, takes questions and uh, any statements or urgent questions, um, the start of them anyway, and then uh, hands over on a rotor basis to uh, the three deputies, and we sort of uh, divvy up the rest of the day. Uh, do you toss a coin? How, how do you? How do you? No, we've got a we've got a, a secretary next door to my office, uh, who basically gets a rotor together. Uh, let's be fair. Doing the rotor during uh, COVID lockdown hasn't been difficult, has it? It's not as if me sitting in the chair is clashing with me uh, doing anything else. It's right. like it's clashing with me going home. Uh, so um, it's not a problem, but I'm sure that as we get back to normality, uh, then uh, there may be issues when we start to talk and say, hey, listen, I've been asked to do this particular dinner, speak at a dinner. Do you mind swapping? So we're, we're, there'll be a bit of swap shop going on, I suspect, uh, post-September, when I think Parliament will be definitely back to normal by then. But of course, the big question is how much normality will we get? Uh, when uh, June the 21st hits, you know, when people are crowding in to football stadiums, uh, c- clearly having us 
one and a half to two meters apart in Parliament ain't going to work. So yes. uh, we're just waiting now for Public Health England to have a look at the current setup. We're only allowed 50 MPs in the chamber at the moment instead of uh, 650, you know, so. Uh, yeah, well, we're, uh, we're used to seeing a crowded chamber, aren't we? people sitting on the steps, MPs sort of shuffling along, trying to, you know, get through those lobbies and but that that. That hasn't been happening and in fact one of the, the things that you've probably overseen is this in this re most remarkable time for say parliament to handle the pandemic not in terms of just governance of the country but how you've handled the changes that have to be made around how parliamentarians work vote sit in the chamber using of technology so how has that been over the last 12 months <laughs> well let's put it like this if covid had happened three years ago it would have been an absolute disaster for Parliament. Right. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, this pandemic has hit at a time when the technological advances have really enabled the whole of Parliament to uh, meet virtually. Uh, and we could do that if we wanted. Um, but what we do do is just a few of us come in, for instance, the Speaker and the three deputies, uh, ministers invariably uh, come in and shadow ministers, but not all the time. Uh, I, I did a, uh, a debate. Uh, I've done uh, actually a German debate before now, Colbert, when uh, it, the minister's not been there. The person moving the German has not been there. Yeah. Uh, so that's all a bit spooky. But I remember about two years ago, uh, I live in a very small village in Lancashire, and uh, there was a British telecom chap uh, shinning up one of the telegraph poles. And I said to the landlord uh, of the pub next door to where I live. I said, what, what's going on here? And he said, super fast broadband. Well, we've only got 48 houses in uh, my village. And so all of a sudden, I absolutely signed up to it straight away. And I'm really yes. pleased I did. <laughs> and this has happened all over the country, of course, that uh, super fast connectivity has happened roughly at the same time as people have been uh, voting remotely and also participating in debates remotely. We, we've done it step by step as well, Kavir. We've not done a big bang. Uh, we have done it in a way that has allowed us step by step to uh, get all MPs who want to participate uh, as much as we can uh, to do it remotely. We've not yet, um, even though it's technically possible, we've not yet allowed people to intervene on somebody remotely. So there have been limitations. That's interesting. Right. OK. So there's still some elements of the debate that are different being done virtually. Yeah. Um, for instance, you know, we've got this sub uh, parliament called uh, Westminster Hall. It's a sub chamber, really, not a parliament uh, where debates take place. Well, up until now, um, nobody has been able to do that remotely whatsoever because we've got a capacity problem here with the uh, technicians and all that sort of stuff. Um, as for Monday, it, it goes uh, via Zoom. So uh, people will remotely be able now to take part in debates in Westminster Hall as well. Uh, we've moved it from Westminster Hall uh, to one of the uh, big committee rooms in Portcullis House where the connectivity is better, uh, where you can also get a few more people in. So um, but that will be all happening as from Monday. Um, so that's that's quite exciting. I mean, the, the, one of the big changes, of course, was how were MPs going to vote? And while the numbers were still huge, um, uh, we had this system whereby they all lined up. It was like a Disney ride. You know, you've seen those things where you have to curl round uh, in 
to make it look as if the queue's not that long when it really is. Um, and so all these MPs were queuing right into Westminster Hall. It was ridiculous. And then they were coming into the chamber, saying their names, and then either saying I or no. And that was the way they were voting. Well, we soon worked out that that was absurd and taking a long, long time, half an hour. Uh, so we now use the passes on pass readers and they are actually positioned uh, in the lobbies as well. So that uh, the member, if they're voting, no, goes into the no lobby, I into the I lobby and just presses this against one of the uh, card readers and then their vote is registered. And so if you're going to ask me, is anything going to stay? Yes, that, that, was already. That, that is exactly what I was going to ask you. What, what, you know, we all talk about a hybrid model now and the and yeah. working from home, but there'll be a sort of and there's been in the news in the last few days about whether people will return to the office. And, you know, there's there's some talk that lots will. But here we see the office being parliament. Are parliamentarians going to all return? Yeah, the vast majority will. Absolutely. I think the only exceptions will be those who are ill. Uh, and those uh, who are pregnant. Um, and I suspect that will be it, to, to be fair. You see, there's an unintended consequence about doing these things remotely. And there again, technology has sort of filled the gap there too. Unintended consequences are that MPs aren't brushing aside with one another in the corridors, the corridors of power. It's where the plotting takes place, uh, where people chat and say, well, I'm not too sure about, let's say, right, budget happening. Uh, I'm not too sure about taxation going up. That's what happens when you bump into another uh, member of parliament. Uh, you can't do that when you're not here. So what has taken its place? The WhatsApp chat groups. Really? Oh, right. Proliferation of WhatsApp. A plethora of WhatsApp groups. Now, this is fascinating in itself because I'm a member of quite a number of WhatsApp groups, but the ones I don't, the right, the ones I'm not a member of, Calvert, I don't know exist. If you don't yes. know they exist, then you're not going to say, why aren't I a member of that group? So, you know, there, there are going to be those who, let's say, uh, during uh, the, the, the processes of uh, Brexit, those who were pro-Brexit were members of one WhatsApp group. Those who were against Brexit were members of another one. So you can now multiply that by all sorts of um, groups of people. For instance, the 2019 intake, the 2019 Conservative intake, the 2019 Labour intake will have one. The SNP lot will uh, have one as well. So you'll have the big SNP one where uh, all of them are members. And then maybe you'll have the factions. Now, the SNP tend to not have factions, uh, but I tell you what the Tories do and the yes. Labour Party do. So yeah. you will see fa factional WhatsApp groups within parties as well. Uh, and then, of course, uh, WhatsApp groups uh, uh, replicating those who are interested in transport, those who are interested in health, those who are interested in uh, uh, DCMS issues. Uh, so all of these are there. And that's now filling the void uh, where brushing against another MP in a corridor or the tea rooms or the Kremlin bar downstairs. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that, that, that's filled the void up to a point. But I think most MPs will be keen and hungry to get back. Yes, no, that, that's that's really fascinating. The I think most people have seen with only their family groups or maybe some work groups where WhatsApp's proliferated. But 
yes, as a as a means of informal conversation. Who'd have thought Parliament would now embrace WhatsApp in in such a way? Which brings me to probably a question about, you know, the the embracement of just technology and platforms and things like yes, obviously Zoom and Teams and various digital collaboration platforms that have replaced the need for people coming together to have meetings. Do you, do you see those sort of becoming more part of this? You know, we, we used to talk of the new normal and it feels like we're almost at the new normal now, but do you see that as a sort of part of that new normal, the use of more virtual meetings in, in committees uh, and even will the screens remain in the chamber? Yeah, I can't answer that last question, but I think there will be a desire. For instance, if somebody is pregnant and can't participate physically, why they should they be denied the opportunity to take part in certain debates or ask questions? So I think there's going to be a big push there. But of course, it will be the administration committee in the House, uh, finally, that will have their say um, about that. Now, uh, you're right. The um, just over 12 months ago, I'd never heard of Zoom. Now it's become an integral part of my life. Yesterday morning, I woke up and uh, did a very early Zoom with the Chamber of Trade in Australia, Sydney, uh, and uh, did, uh, did an hour with them. Uh, I then came into my office here, and then I did a Zoom with the ambassador from the United Arab Emirates. Uh, he is in Dubai, and so we did uh, a call there. I think, you know, these, uh, and I've just done one today, by the way, on the aviation group, uh, an, an AGM with a lot of MPs and peers and support group people. Um, so I see these, you know, um, being an enhancement to what we currently do. Now, look, you, you, you know all about select committees, and there's a select committee mirroring each government department. And you know that uh, in normal times, we would have witnesses in, and we rarely used to use a screen to uh, have somebody give evidence, 99.9%, uh, .9 they would be in physically in the room with us. Um, I'm just thinking that in the future, uh, particularly for uh, if we wanted to have an expert from the United States of America or Australia or Singapore, Hong Kong, then I can see them um, coming in via Zoom. Um, and I think that's gonna be an enhancement. Uh, rather than a degradation of the quality of service that we do in these uh, select meetings. Because in a lot of cases, we wouldn't have had these uh, witnesses in. Now, the new technology is allowing us to, let's just say, spread our wings a bit. Yeah, select committees will still travel abroad and uh, see for themselves how certain things are done and then take evidence from uh, expert witnesses in the countries where they happen to be. That's always going to be the case because you want to see firsthand, uh, for instance, how Rolls-Royce um, uh, resurface engines in Singapore, for instance, and you can only do that, basically standing there and asking questions. But taking evidence from um, uh, expert witnesses, I just think that, the, that this sort of thing is going to be an absolute enhancement. But um, uh, I think, um, I mean, the House of Lords, by the way, led the way on this, as uh, they tend to do on changes, even though the average age is way more than the House of Commons. Uh, it seems as if it's always the House of Lords who are the ones who pushed the technology. And they were the ones who were pushing the hybrid way before us. That's <laughs> wow. so funny, isn't it? No, well, it, it's true. And, and it's interesting to see how, you know, as you say, the processes, the traditions, parliamentarians embracing technology in this accelerated way. But also, you, you know, there's this conversation now about uh, citizens 
and their relationship with parliament and parliamentarians in the now digital age. So a digital society that's equipped, that uh, as constituents uh, has the capability what are their channels? Are they going to be using WhatsApp groups to contact their parliamentarians? Do you, have you seen some of that changing? Or what are your thoughts about how that relationship between parliament and its constituents, but also MPs and their constituents now with technology being more embraced? Is that going to is that going to change, you see? Oh, it, it has changed. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think it's anything that uh, democracy ought to be worried about because it enhances democracy. It's after all, it's all about the people. Uh, and I guess it's going back to some form of Athenian democracy, whereas you could get all the citizens in one uh, uh, area, one uh, hemicycle, right? and they could all vote, those citizens who had voting rights. Uh, now, all of a sudden, of course, representative democracy then stemmed from that because you couldn't get everybody in the same room. And all of a sudden, virtually we can now. <laughs> so that's going to beg a lot of questions as to direct direct democracy versus representative democracy in the future. I've got absolutely no doubts whatsoever that the WhatsApp uh, groups um, within society, uh, there's a plethora of them now. So whatever your interest happens to be, like groups of people are now talking to one another and pushing the envelope using WhatsApp. And on a sort of a lesser scale, but it's still important, you have seen uh, the prime minister uh, doing quite regular updates at five o'clock on uh, Sky, BBC, ITV uh, on uh, COVID-19. And who does he go to first these days to ask the question? It's not Laura Coombsberg uh, down the road. And, um, you know, it, it's not the journalists. It is the citizens. And the citizens are coming in and asking, I've got to say, in my own view, bread and butter questions, not gotcha, gotcha questions. They, they want to know, when can I hug my granddaughter again? Uh, and it's lovely to see the citizens being brought in first and then uh, the journalists coming in invariably. Yes. Sam Coates, Sam Coates from Skywooding his gotcha moment or uh, Robert Peston. But, you know, so uh, Downing Street is now utilising uh, that technology to uh, wider participatory democracy, which is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. So I can see that continuing way into the future now. That's fantastic. Well, the the channel for the to talk to politicians or the prime minister, and, and I do I do remember a certain leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn, being one of the first that I remember in recent time who used to start bringing in parliament in uh, prime minister's questions questions from the public. So he he did he did revert to that sort of trend. You know, in many of the things that Jeremy yeah. Corbyn, but, but right. he moving, used to, used to say, used to say at the dispatch box, we've got a, a letter here. Or I've had an email from Julie from Brighton, yes. and then uh, he, he'd asked that, that that particular question. But I think that on the wider scale, though, uh, Calvia, um, in Sweden, for instance, um, as you know, the digital democracy is way more advanced than ours is, and um, you know, I, 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 let's ask the question. When do you think we're going to have the first general election whereby it is done digitally rather than people traipsing to a polling station on a wet December, uh, as happened uh, in 2019? I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it, uh, as to when we believe that we trust trust uh, the uh, digital platform 
to be able to do it. And in Sweden, I've actually seen um, their digital platform, and I understand that you can vote and then change the vote. Let's say you voted 10 days before the cutoff for a general election in Sweden, and then somebody says something that either attracts you or repels you, you've got the opportunity to change your vote um, before the cutoff time. And I think that that is fascinating too. And then that will beg the question as to wider uh, digital democracy, as to uh, why don't you have way more referenda than is currently the case now, so that you can ask people uh, whether uh, you believe that, uh, let's say, e-cigarettes should be banned or e-cigarettes should be allowed indoors. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? It is. So, so do, do you see a decade of, of change now? You know, we've been talking about the sort of uh, infrastructure and tools of digital technology, but you're actually now talking about the fundamentals of potential how democracy operates evolving due to the ability to use digital technology. So do, do you see that evolution through the next couple of years? Do we see parliament maybe operating, changing, looking, even if it's been rebuilt by 2030, somewhat different in terms of how parliamentarians uh, are elected and what, they're, what they are discussing and debating and how they're doing it? Well, yeah, the, the short answer is yes, but not over two years and not over 10 years, not a decade of change. It is going to be constant. You yeah. mentioned I got elected in 1992. In 1992, if you wish to make a point of order in the chamber while a vote was taking place, you had to nod to one of the doormen who would throw you a collapsible opera hat, which you could then put on and make your point of order. That wow. is in my lifetime, Colbert. Wow. And so can you imagine, right? I've seen constant change within democracy in Westminster. Uh, through to uh, the creation of things like Westminster Hall, for instance. Uh, Westminster Hall itself is, uh, 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 is new. Devolution has happened in my lifetime. So all of these things uh, ha have occurred and it is going to be absolutely continuous. I know we talk about that and we've got great pride. We're the mother of all parliaments. And yeah, it's because we're very old. The Isle of Man has got an older parliament than we are. But nonetheless, you know, we're a very old parliament. But that doesn't mean we're a museum. It doesn't mean that we're stultified and it doesn't mean we're opposed to change where it's going to help and enhance what we're doing. And that is going to be an ongoing process forever and a day. And if you can imagine um, what has happened over the past two years, what's happened over the past 28 years that I've been involved in uh, as a member of parliament. Fast forward 50 years from now, Kelvia, spooky. People will be, they'll be doing Zooms between uh, here and the moon and Mars. You yes. watch. There'll be people there and, and they, we will be bringing them in. Do you think there'll be a parliament on the moon? Who knows? But, but before <laughs> we get to that point, yeah, or, or even on Mars, but before we get to that point, just to, just to wrap up, Nigel, maybe a couple of quick fire questions for you. And they're, they're quite lighthearted. But the, the first one is, uh, in terms of describing yourself, with either being a uh, a digital geek or or uh, a digital phobe in terms of your use of technology yourself and i think i may know where you sit because i can see your airpods i know you've got an iWatch uh, uh, and everything else with one being uh, i'm a complete phobe and 10 being i'm the ultimate digital geek who likes his gadgets and uses them and everything else where would you place yourself deputy speaker sir <laughs> 11 
uh, I'm an early adopter. Um, if I told you when I was in Swansea in my early days growing up, I had two 1.8 meter uh, dishes uh, on my roof. And that was even before Sky started broadcasting. I was going around the Clark Belt looking to see what um, images we could get from uh, news stations. I was watching raw footage of ITN News uh, coming in before it was properly uh, 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 codified so that, you know, geeks like me couldn't see what was happening. And I remember one night at two in the morning, me and my brother were watching uh, the US Congress voting because uh, we managed to use one of the dishes uh, to uh, uh, tap into uh, one of the broadcasts that they were probably sending over to the United Kingdom uh, for news channels here to use. And so we were watching live footage. It was great. So I think you, I'm, 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 not, I'm not brilliant at it, though. That's the other yeah. thing. If I tell you it took me over 40 minutes to get my uh, soundbar Wi-Fi <laughs> to my TV the other day because it, uh, it uh, disconnected itself. Uh, when you're setting it up, it's it's okay. It's when there's a problem in between when you've got to yeah. grab the uh, grab grab the manual and have a look. Or a, a, I mean, now you can download any manual you like, which is great. And on video, which is always helpful as well, I find. But uh, yeah, you definitely deserve your eleven there, Nigel. I, I agree. <laughs> with you. And then uh, one one final question: In a world where now news and media so dominates, obviously everything that, especially in your world, what's going on around you, how are you? Uh, disseminating or acquiring or taking in media nowadays is it do you use social media do you use digital platforms do you still pick up a newspaper what's your television where is it what's changed for you around how do you um you know how do you chew down on the media intake nowadays what's your channel of choice well uh when i was growing up uh, i was growing up in a news agent shop in swansea and i used to get get access to all the newspapers and that's how uh, you got your news in those days by reading physically a newspaper. Um, I very rarely buy a newspaper anymore. I get a lot of them online. I subscribe uh, to The Spectator. Um, and so you you almost assimilate uh, what is going on around you. It's quite incredible. When I wake up in the morning, I listen now to Times Radio and I get my little fill as to what's going there. I'm quite excited about the fact that we've got Andrew Neal's new uh, news um, uh, rolling program going to be starting very shortly. I want diversity of news. I want a plethora out there so I can uh, get it where I, I can. You get a lot of news um, from uh, uh, from WhatsApp groups and just MPs talking to one another digitally as well. And um, because of my learning German, <clears throat> I even get breaking news from ntv.de, which I then have to busily puts the words I don't know uh, into the Google Translate in order then to, I mean, you can put a whole chapters of stuff into Google Translate and then work out what's going on in Germany as well. And uh, today, for instance, I learned that their uh, um, non-seasonal unemployment is rocketing in Germany, which gives you a bit of a flavor that sometimes you only get to know what's happening in the United Kingdom and not around the rest of the world. And so you get to know that the challenges of what is going to be post-COVID is something that is going to be a global challenge, not just a challenge for the uh, United Kingdom. So um, uh, <clears throat> when I'm awake, I am assimilating news one way, shape, form or another. It's not that you have to wait for news at 10 anymore. Do you remember? Oh, yes. Imagine telling your grandchildren, we used to sit around the TV and wait for 10 o'clock. You get the bongs of Big Ben and then uh, you would listen uh, to the news. but you had to wait until certain times before you got the news. Now, 
It is absolutely rolling. And the new challenge, of course, uh, Colbert, for new generations is the fake news aspect, which uh, uh, my younger generation, uh, when I was growing up, we never had to bother with. If it appeared on BBC News or uh, ITN, you knew it was the truth. Now, it's a different challenge for uh, a new generation of people as to work out what's true and what's not true and what's propaganda and what it just absolute lies. Well, Deputy Speaker, Nigel Evans MP, thank you very, very much for joining us on the Digital Society podcast. Um, yes, you, and you sit in, in, yes, the mother of all parliaments. I believe you're one of the people who is a bastion of maintaining uh, standards and truth. And in a world where, as you quite rightly put, there's news, there's fake news, there's lies, there's deep fakes, uh, we know you do a great job in helping steer us through some of these challenges and debates, you and the team and the speaker. So we're all grateful. Thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate it. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Digital Society podcast. We'll be back with another episode very soon. To learn more about the podcast or suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please contact us at digitalsociety.com at atos.net or visit the Atos website.